We're in our uh, final few verses of Philippians chapter four this morning and uh, thankful for how this book has served us, uh, really how this book has equipped us for this past season. And uh, we were uh, at our last elder meeting uh, a few weeks ago and, and we just really gave thanks to God for how this book has instructed us and guided us uh, through a difficult season. We're going to be wrapping it up. We're looking at Philippians chapter 4, 21 through 23 this morning. Uh, if you're joining with us online, we're, we're glad you're here. Thankful for your patience with that. Uh, we're still waiting on a few more things to come together to be able to pull off our live feed well. And uh, one of those things being a dedicated internet line to be able to get that out to you guys because we know many of you are unable to gather with us this morning and we're thankful uh, that you're here with us uh, via the internet. Um, our, our hope and prayer has been through this book is that uh, this book would really instruct us and guide us of what it looks like to find joy wherever we are. And, and really that's been the, the hope and prayer for the past several months as we've walked through this book ahead, that we wouldn't just merely read this book, that we would apply it and, and put it into practice. And so what, what Paul is going to do here in the final few verses is, is really give us some, some final instructions. And I think we might miss what Paul says if, if we're just kind of casually reading. I know that I have uh, many times, but there are some things that Paul instructs us in here uh, that I think we need to really dive in together. And so let's read this text uh, together this morning, and uh, we're going to spend the next few minutes really kind of wrapping this book up this morning. In Philippians chapter 4, 21, it says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. And then he finishes with, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, at first glance, it seems like a traditional closing to a letter. This is Paul simply saying, hey, be sure and say hello. You can imagine the, the church gathered together. They're, they're gathered around. This letter had just been sent from Paul with Epaphroditus, and Epaphroditus brings it back to the church in Philippi. And they're gathered there, and, and this letter is being read. And, and ultimately, you know, Paul has mentioned a few key leaders. He's mentioned the overseers and deacons. But Paul here addresses kind of the rest of the church family. Hey, be sure and tell them hello. Be sure and let them know what, what, what's going on. Be sure and, and, and fill them in. And, and here we say even Paul says, especially those of Caesar's household, they, they send greetings as well, which just shows that, that Paul is saying that there are, there are members there of Caesar's household, that the gospel has even infiltrated there. And, and this is Paul writing saying, there's members here, the gospel is, is advancing and they want to let you know, hey, they greet you. And we see this family, we see this partnership, we see this community. And Paul just says, say hello to everyone. And then we get to this final sentence. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now this may just be like a cliche saying of Paul, you know, that Paul's just wrapping it up. May the grace of the Lord be with you. Or maybe there's a purpose in this. 
And what I want us to do this morning is I want us to kind of take a journey because Paul not only authored the the letter here to the church in Philippi, but Paul is the author of 13 other books in our New Testament. And what's interesting is when we go back to those 13 books, they all end with a similar, if not identical, closing. Let me give us a, a few examples this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 23, it says, The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 to the, the church in Corinth, he says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Galatians 6, 18, we studied the book of Galatians uh, about a year or two ago. It says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 24. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. And so we, we see this pattern, but not only is the closing the same, but the introduction is the same amongst all these letters as well. But there's a slight, a slight change. In 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 3, it says grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 1, 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 1, 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And Ephesians 1, 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He uses the same pattern over and over. We see in Philippians chapter 1, verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he closes it in Philippians chapter 4, verse 23. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And so what do we make of this? Because we see Paul introduce every single one of his letters, grace to you. And he closes every single one of his letters with grace with you. Now, if we think about the definition of grace, many of us may know the definition of grace to be God's God's giving of this undeserved favor. That, That God would do something in us, not because of anything in us, but because of just his great love and kindness. God's grace upon us. And we know of God's grace through his sending of Jesus Christ, that Jesus would go, that he would take our penalty, our death, our sin upon the cross, and that he would accredit our count righteousness. That is God's grace. But grace is also defined in scripture as a supernatural power or force that transforms our lives to make us more like Jesus. And so when Paul starts this letter, he says, grace to you. He's wanting you to experience the supernatural transformational power of God's grace of undeserved favor in your life that it would transform you. So God is is doing this. God is working this. And and I I want us to turn because I I love how John Piper kind of defined this grace to you and grace with you and this relationship between the two. I've put it here on the screen for us as well. John Piper said, at the beginning of his letters, Paul has in mind that the letter itself is a channel of God's grace to the readers. Grace is about to flow from God through Paul's writing to the Corinthians. So he says, grace 
to you that these words, the actual words we read in this letter to the church in Philippi would be God's measure. It'd be a conduit of God's grace. He said that that grace is now active. It's about to flow from God through my inspired writing as you read grace to you. But as the end of the letter approaches, Paul realizes that this reading is almost finished and the question rises, what becomes of grace that has been flowing to the readers through the reading of this inspired letter? He answers with a blessing at the end of every letter, grace be with you. With you is, has has, has put the letter away and, and, and kind of as we leave the church, with you as you go home to deal with a sick child and an unaffectionate spouse, with you as you go to work and face the temptations of anger and dishonesty and lust, with you as you muster courage to speak up for Christ over lunch. Thus we learn that grace is ready to flow to us Every time we take up the inspired scriptures to read them and we learn that grace will abide with us when we lay the Bible down and we go about our daily living. Grace with us. Now, when I began reading this and, and, and honestly looking at this and grace of God going with us, I'm like, where do we see that in this book? And, and literally as I, I flip through and I read these passages of scripture, maybe just chapter four as an example, it says that those who come and make their requests be made known to God, he says, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. The experiencing the peace of God that is beyond understanding is the grace of God going with us. We, we read in, in, at the end of, of uh verse 9 there in chapter 4, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And if you practice these things, the God of peace will be with you. Now here's what I want, want us to hear this morning and really as we come to close in this chapter is that the grace of God being with us is contingent upon putting these things actually into practice. Now, now Justin, are you talking about that there's conditional grace? Yes, Absolutely. We may, have know, we may know and we may have heard of unconditional grace and that's God's favor poured out to us in Jesus and that that is what God has done in the past. That favor is based on nothing that I do but solely upon the good nature of God towards me. But there is also grace that is contingent or conditional upon me meeting certain requirements. I will not experience the peace of God without making my request known to God. I will not experience the peace of God unless I practice, unless I receive, I hear these things and I put these things into practice. And so God's grace being with us and, and empowering us and transforming us is contingent upon our obedience to these words to the church in Philippi. We think about a, a passage that, that came to mind for me when God gives grace conditionally. God, James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's humility. Humility is a state or nature that receives God's grace. And so I say all of that because there awaits for us 
not just this past grace. God isn't done. God hasn't just acted in the past through Jesus and poured out his grace, but God's grace goes with us that we can experience more of his grace right now in this moment, tomorrow, this week, that God's grace can be with us. We can experience that. And that is good news to us this morning, that God's grace is not just something to us that happened in the past, but God's grace is actually with us. Now, I think if we were to take a poll, how many of us want to experience God's grace? Immediately, our hands all go up and we're like, absolutely. You're telling me that, that we can experience God's grace. Yes. But it's contingent. And that's where I want to, us to be reminded of the book of Philippians and be reminded of what Paul wrote to the church in Philippi because Paul has given some instructions here that we are to follow in turn that the grace of God would be with us. And so I'm gonna pray this morning and in the same way that Paul wrote these words to the church in Philippi and said that this was going to be a conduit of grace, I pray that as we read it together this morning, that it would be a conduit of grace to us. You're like, wait a second, we're going to read the entire book of Philippians this morning? Yes. It, it, it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to be reminded this morning of what God has called us to as believers in Jesus so that we can experience more of his grace today and tomorrow. So I'm gonna pray and we're gonna begin to read and then I'm gonna close this this morning. Father, we, we thank you for this, this text, this word, this instrument of grace to us. We thank you that your word is sufficient for transformation. Paul, I pray that as we read this morning, that these wouldn't just be words on a page, that Lord, you would speak to us. You would do your supernatural work of transformation in us, even as we read together this morning. May this not just be an empty religious practice, but literally we would read these words that do not return void, that they will go out and do the intended purpose in which you set them out to accomplish. Lord, speak to us through your word. Remind us of things. And may we walk away from this place knowing that God's grace is with us this morning. Amen. Let's read. Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you're all partakers with me of grace, 
both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be sure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am, I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in, in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which, I sh which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that, you, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them that of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, 
every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will also come. I have thought it necessary to send you Apodidus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard he, that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor, such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if any 
And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the, Christ, of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory and their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I treat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any if, if there is if any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have reviewed your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you, Philippians, yourselves, know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Aphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. We have these instructions from Paul to the church in Philippi. And maybe you're at a place today and you go, why? why? Why should we live this way? Why should we walk in humility? Why should we consider others more important than ourselves? Why should we strive for unity? 
Why should we commit our, 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 our request to God? Why should we come and be generous? Why should we honor those who, who serve us in the Lord? Why should we walk in obedience to the things that Paul has instructed? And what Paul closes his letter is because in doing so, we experience the grace of God in our lives. In walking in obedience to those things, we experience grace. I think a lot of times we have heard that the reason we walk in obedience as believers in Jesus is we do so out of gratitude for God who, who would serve us, who would, who would be so gracious to us. And John Piper says, could it be that gratitude for bygone grace has been pressed to serve us as the power for holiness? That our gratitude of what Jesus did for us on the cross is meant to motivate us to obedient living today. But he said, it's actually only faith in future grace that was designed to do that. It is our anticipation, our longing for the experience of God's grace, as he says in verse 23, the grace to be with us that motivates us to live this way. We have faith and assurance that God will do what he says he will do if we'll walk in obedience to these things. And so my prayer over us this morning and my closing for us is that we would be motivated by God's giving of future grace to us and the experience of future grace, that we would, by grace through faith, God initiated grace and faith in our lives, by grace through faith, we would continue to experience his grace as we go about our everyday lives. And so by grace through faith, may our love abound more and more. By grace through faith, may we live pure and blameless. By grace through faith, may we be filled with the fruit of righteousness. By grace through faith, may we seek to advance the gospel. By grace through faith, may we find joy amidst our suffering. By grace through faith, may we find the courage to face tomorrow. By grace through faith, may we give our lives to fruitful labor. By grace through faith, may we live lives worthy of the gospel. 